Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm excited to have Joan Sotkin as a guest on episode 31 today. Joan is an author, coach, and businesswoman who has helped thousands of people understand why they do what they do with their money and how to alter their financial behaviors. In the 1980s, Joan thought she was on the way to financial security as she rapidly built a wholesale, retail, and mail order business to the point where she was grossing over $30,000 a month. Her lack of business and financial skills led to her downfall and bankruptcy. This experience led Joan on a path of learning everything she could about business and financial management. While attending 12-step programs, including Debtors Anonymous and Codependence Anonymous, she began to understand the connection between emotions and the life stories we create for ourselves, including our finances. Years of working to release her own repressed emotions helped deepen her understanding of how we act out family of origin issues through our business and finances. Joan went on to start the popular website prosperityplace.com and her book, Build Your Money Muscles, Nine Simple Exercises for Improving Your Relationship with Money, won two national awards. Joan, thanks so much for the work you do and for joining us on the show today. My pleasure to be here. Looking forward to this. Great. So let's go back to the beginning. You you know, we mentioned earlier that um, you had started the business that led to its own sort of downfall, but how'd you get started in that particular business? Well, the business was a crystal business. I I was the first one to market crystals and minerals for healing and meditation nationwide. And I had a line of stones called Jones Stones that were in 600 stores. And I was mailing out 50,000 catalogs at a time. This is way before the internet. So it was a kind of offbeat topic. And I was the first one to actually do that. And you say, how did I get into it? Well, you have to backtrack a little bit to when I had given everything I owned away and was looking for answers, not only for myself and how to heal my body because the doctors kept telling me I'd, I'd never be healthy. So I spent a lot of time in meditation. And one day I had had a fever that lasted for a couple of days. And as it broke, I heard, go buy a pound of tumbled stones. And I really had no idea what that meant. And my mother used to give away these these mineral specimens with little animals pasted on them. And so I went to the the store where she used to buy the minerals, and I said, I need a pound of tumbled stones. And he said, what size? And my hand kind of went up, and I said, about that size, and it was about an inch round. And a week later, I had the stones, and that was the beginning. That's a fascinating, that, that's, let's even go back, why, go back to why you gave away all your stuff. Uh, okay. I mean, it's a long story. Even now, We've got time. Okay. Remember, I was born in 1940. So yeah, I, I see now that when we're born, how we're brought up really makes a difference because we're a product of the culture and the times in which we're brought up. So I was brought up to believe that women should um, get a teaching degree and get married and have children. And it, it never really made sense to me, but I did that. I didn't have the kids, but I did get married. And, and I was 
sick all the time. And so there were a couple of stories going back and forth. And I, I, life just didn't make sense to me as it was outlined to me. So um, at one point, so after the second marriage didn't work, I mean, to me, I, I just wasn't meant to be a married person. <laughs> and after the second married marriage, I, this woman came into my life. I mean, you asked for the story, so I'm going to tell you the story. And um, she started channeling, which is something people know about now. She would just go into a trance and start talking to me from this entity um, that she called the mother. And it absolutely fascinated me. I said, what is this? And enough things happened that went beyond my logical understanding that I was willing to listen to whatever it said. And at one point, and we did things like, um, I, I rented the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium to put on a show with the doctor who had saved my life uh, about new age medicine. And, and the whole idea was for me to develop my intuition and be guided by this inner voice, shall we call it. And at one point, um, we reached the point where I couldn't pay my rent and I didn't know what to do. And it just became apparent that I had to give everything away. I had a ticket to go back east to my parents' house to attend a family wedding. And I had a giveaway day. I put up a sign in the local uh, natural food store and said, come and get my stuff. And I arrived back in New Jersey with one suitcase filled with things. <laughs> and that was it. So, I, and I say this with, with all respect, like you were doing new age stuff when it was still new. Before it was new age. As a matter of fact, when I stopped the crystal business, it was because everyone was doing this thing called new age. And, and, and some of the things they were making up made no sense to me. And I didn't want to be just another new age crazy, which was one of the reasons I got out of the business. All righty. So that, that pulls us, I, I bet, full circle. Because my question was going to be, so what are the factors that led to your ostensibly successful business going under, right? So, I mean, that, time, that mark in time is really interesting. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So first of all, I was bringing in $30,000 a month, which in today's money is about $50,000 a month. And I had no idea how to manage that much money. I had a bookkeeper who came in three days a week, and he would do whatever I told him to do. And I wound up buying a heck of a lot of crystals. And I just love buying crystals. And I, I was selling a lot, but I was buying much too much. I didn't know about cash flow. I would go to the bank and ask for, for help because I, I knew I didn't know, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And they would just, they thought it was cute that this woman was making all this money selling crystals and they would just lend me more money. And that was not the answer. And so right after I started mailing out 50,000 catalogs and this money was coming and I would go to the mailbox and pick up the checks and there'd be five, ten thousand $10,000 in the mailbox all at once. And my father died. And and it's, when, when someone dies or there's a divorce or any kind of serious loss, I've seen over the years that many people wind up having money problems. So I just, I just got further and further into debt. And, um, and it 
became apparent that, you know, at, at one point I brought in someone to try to help me. There were no real coaches at that point. And he said, you have to borrow more money from family and friends. And I said, that's not my story. And I closed the business. All righty. So it wasn't like, you know, really external factors, you know, the, the building burning down, but just the way forward wasn't a way that resonated with you. Am I understanding that correctly? Right. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, if you can imagine, there was no internet, there were no coaches, there wasn't the kind of information that's available today. Uh, When I listen to uh, shows like yours and I hear what the what the people are doing and 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 how they're getting their their information and they belong to masterminds and 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 they have mentors, that stuff just didn't exist. And particularly for a woman in business there was just very little help. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that perspective because, you know, I'm, I'm 35 now. I'm, I'm well, you know, either late millennial or whatever, wherever you want to put me. But I didn't exactly grow up with the Internet. Um, but my business, you know, maturity has has co-evolved with the Internet. So, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard for some of us to, to think back to those days, you know. And I've been online for 20 years. I got online in August of 1995, and and so I've got I've gotten to see the way the whole thing has evolved. And I mean, as soon as I got online, I bought a new computer. I, when I came back from my journey, I said to my mother, "If I have a computer, I can make a living." And I got the, my first multimedia computer, and I clicked the AOL button, and I said, "This is the future." And I sat in front of that computer for ten hours a day until I figured out how to build myself a site. That's fantastic. That reminds me of uh, Wendy McClellan's episode, who started early in, in the business, too, where um, those days where, you know, you, you buy the computer and you take a truck to go pick it up, um, and then, yeah. and then you, you join America <laughs> Online and um, go brew your coffee while you're getting online. And I'm, I'm half joking, but I'm also half not, you know? It, it was true. And, and yet, having been in the mail order business, I knew that this was the future and all the people who were into direct marketing were gathering through these mailing lists where people were discussing things. There were these major domo mailing lists and there, there were a number. There was an internet marketing one and a direct response marketing one and people were saying, how are we going to use this thing called the internet? How can we take the skills that we learned Uh, before we found the internet and how can we use them online this is before any of the big companies had websites there were there were there was no amazon there was there were none of the major retailers had sites when i first got on so we kind of had to figure out how to make it work i'm going to go way outside of any any idea of what questions i was going to ask because this is fascinating um what if if you had to compare 2015 to say 1995, um, when we were talking about new entrants, and I really want to focus this on, well, what I've said is that many creative giants and creative people in general don't recognize how good we have it because we're one of those sweet spots in history to where the full tools of um, an economy are available to us. Um, this didn't exist, as you mentioned, back in 1940. It, it was really hard, right? Right, and there was no Google. There was no Google. <laughs> um, there was no Google. There was no, it, it seems weird that there were no business coaches. I mean, there were consultants, but they were from McKinsey, and you had to pay them $75,000 to talk to you, right? Right. There was no one, you know, you could go to the Small Business Development Center or to SCORE for help 
starting a business. But that, and that's how I started Jones Crystals. But the, you can't imagine how much more information is available now. It can be overwhelming, but if you know how to filter, it's there for you. You, you have this perspective. Um, maybe share three major differences. I mean, we understand the access to the internet, so on and so forth, but how does that actually changes one's um, opportunities as a creative person today? Well, first of all, I believe that connection is the key to success. Being able to connect to uh, like-minded people. The, the reason why people have financial problems is often because they feel alone. And it's because when you connect to other people through commerce, you're, you're, you're feeling connected. And that's what humans crave. And, you know, we all need a tribe. We all need to belong. And with the Internet, it is so much easier to make those connections. When, when they put together uh, Facebook, this was the brilliant part of it was it's playing on our need for connection. And in the society that we live in today, where there's so much separation, we crave that connection. So we do it online and selling any kind of business is really about connection. When, when you hand me money because you like what I've done, you're saying to me, I like you, I appreciate you, I acknowledge you. And I accept you. And, and those are all things we're all looking for. And we had no way of doing that en masse before. I did go to the 12-step programs, which helped. It was a way of connecting. But we were all so much more separate. And the thought of having clients in Australia when I lived in the States, that was the farthest thing from my mind. Yeah. So connections, the power of connections, it's, is that the one thing that, that sort of summarizes everything or you have a few more points? So, all right. So your question was what, what differentiates the two? Tell me the question again. The question is like, what are, you know, one to three major differences between um, what's available to us now as creative people versus um, in 1995 or 19, 1960, you know? Okay. Also... Um, and, and this, it, it, it comes back to the internet again, um, funding, crowdsourcing. Isn't that a fabulous concept? It is. Or peer-to-peer investing. I mean, the resources that people have available to them. When I first got online, I could tell it was like stepping into the New York library. And, and it was right there for me. So it's uh, resources, uh, people connection, and, and whatever you want to know. It's amazing. Any t- I mean, I must use Google 20 times a day because I'm really not only creative, but really curious. And anything that comes into my mind, I just go online and I can find the most amazing answers. Isn't that fabulous? It's unprecedented. It's amazing. And, and for people who... who we're not brought up, up the way I was. It's hard to appreciate what we have because I can't imagine 20 years from now what it's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be some interesting future shock as we go through that. And as you know, um, even even small things like the Apple Watch add up to really big ways in which we're ubiquitously connected to each other. It's going to be fascinating. Right. But then there's that piece of how do we connect on a deep level. 
so that we're connected and we're we're not alone. And I think that what has to happen is for us to create deeper connections to ourself and who we really are. What is the nature of reality? What is the nature of our being separate and apart from what we're doing? And I think that as we have more and more opportunity for all this doing and learning and all this, that the being part of it and and being intimate with each other, not just, you know, liking something that you posted on Facebook, but being able to look you in the eye and say, I'm really glad you're in my life. So there's, there's going to have to be a, a period of transition that we go through as we know how to use technology without losing part of our human connection. Absolutely. Wonderfully said, and and I don't have much to add to there. I did want to riff and pull on this, though, because it seems that as we become more, let's say, technologically abundant, um, our financial situations are actually getting worse as this happens, right? Um, Or at least it seems that way. You have the long view here. Okay, so I don't think it's the technology that's doing it. I think it's that there are so many people and there's so much more competition. When I, when I first got online, I would put stuff up to sell and I could sell it really easily because people were looking for the novelty of buying online. And now, I mean, everybody's going, buy me, buy me, buy me. <laughs> you know, it's this noise out there. And, and the world... The, the world uh, finances have changed a lot because we have such incredible uh, financial uh, inequality. So there's a lot of things going into why it's harder to make money. And, uh, it, you, you know, it, it, we have all these teachers saying abundance is everybody's. And, and I don't think that's true. I think you have to really learn the system. And... And I think part of the problem is as we get into this place where we're learning more about ourselves and what really means something to us, that we're seeing that just having money to buy things is not what is going to satisfy us. And a lot of people are in that transition space of not understanding what's next. Can you see that? Absolutely. My point was more, and, and I'll make the point here. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you, and I, I have an iPhone in my pocket. Okay. Now, the reality is, um, because I have Amazon on my iPhone, because I have the Apple Store, because I have basically these companies have a, a tether into my wallet through my phone that goes with me everywhere. If I want a book, like if I wanted to, you know, buy Build Your Money Muscles right now, I could probably go and buy it now. Absolutely. I think, (laughs) you know, that's, you know, if you've ever read, and I'm sure you have, you've read The Millionaire Next Door, right? Sure. Um, There's the offense and then there's the defense. You mentioned the offense and the the ability to, to generate revenue. But I also think that because of just the efficacy of the of the marketing messaging that we have and the technology, it's incredibly harder to play defense right now, right? It's written to save and keep and spend wisely, right? Oh, it takes a tremendous amount of your part in the expression discipline. People seem to cringe when they hear the word discipline. But the reason people get wealthy is because they don't spend everything they earn. 
I mean, it's a pretty simple principle. <laughs> and it is so easy to, the other day I was playing with video and the the lavalier mic I have I have just was making too much noise and so I went right on to Amazon and got another mic. I mean, it's just so easy. That's the problem. The the ease with which we can get things is part of the problem. So this the good news about this is that we're going to have to become conscious business owners and conscious consumers, where the actions that we take are not taken impulsively, but consciously. And to me, conscious living is what I really think it's all about, where we make conscious decisions about what we buy, what we eat, what we use. I mean, I have not, believe it or not, I have not eaten sugar in 42 years. I'm, I, when I eat sugar, I was a suicidal depressive for 15, for 15 years. Two days after this doctor said, you won't be depressed if you give up sugar, I gave up sugar and, and have not knowingly touched it since. That is a tremendous amount of discipline. And it has served me well in learning how to manage my money because managing money takes discipline. It's not just not spending what you, what you earn. It's also learning how to manage cash flow, which if you have your own business is an essential skill. And usually when I say cash flow, people just kind of cringe. Yeah, well, you're safe to say all sorts of words like discipline and cash flow and profits here, right? Those are not four-letter words here, right? Um, but, you know, we're talking about conscious spending and we're talking about conscious living. And I think that's actually going to pull us into talking a little bit about the identity factor, right? Because my contention is one of the reasons why people think they need more discipline than they do is they're trying to um, buy themselves into a certain type of identity, Right. Um, they're trying to support it in that different ways. And granted, there's all sorts of ways we can talk about that. But um, talk to us. You, you've, you've talked a lot more about the identity factor, obviously, than I have, because um, you, it's your body of work. So tell us a little bit about that and, and how that kicks in when we start talking about conscious spending and conscious living. OK, so my original question was and still is, why do people who are pretty smart make really stupid decisions? <laughs> What is it that makes us vote against our own self-interest, take action that's against our self-interest? I mean, lots of people have had coaches and they've taken courses, and yet they stay pretty much where they are. And so the question was, why? And what I came up with was what I call the identity factor, which is something that kicks in every time you try to make a major change in your life. When you try to make that change, you get what I call the moving stupids, which, <laughs> which when, you, when you move from one house to another, you really want to be in the new house, but you get really stupid. You lose things, you bump into walls, you lose your keys, you lose your wallets, you, don't, you get really disoriented. And it's that stage of disorientation that you have to be willing to work through before you can make effective, lasting change. Uh, we, our, our mind, our brain is set up to see change as danger. So anytime you start making changes and try to change your habits, your amygdala is going danger, danger, danger. And, and so rather than, than take a chance, we tend to pull back. 
And part of the secret, I mean, the first exercise in build your money muscles is adapt to change and do things like turn the toilet paper around so it rolls a different way or take a a different uh, uh, road to work or stack your, your dishes in a different cabinet. Do things differently so you get used to that feeling of disorientation and you understand that it's only part of the process of change. And after a while, if you do this right, you get to look forward to the moving stupids because then you know you're moving forward. Fantastic. I'm I'm curious, how can we tell when our identity factor is kicking in, though? Because, you know, we... We have inertia and stasis. Um, we we want to keep doing the same things that we keep doing, even if those things aren't serving us. Right. So when you when you make a change, you'll be aware that something just doesn't feel right. It feels uncomfortable. Well, you can the, the best way to understand the moving stupids, which is part of the identity factor, is to do something like change your morning routine, and you're going to feel it within within an hour. Because it doesn't feel familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what happens when you start changing your, how you think, you know, when The Secret came out, everybody was talking about changing how you think. Well, if you change how you think, if you change how you feel, I'm very into changing emotional responses. The world is going to respond to you differently from the way they did before. And supposing you've been grumping through life, grump, grump, grump. And, and then people are going to be grumping back at you and you're going to have lots of th- problems that you run into. And suddenly, if you became this cheery person and nothing was bothering you, well, you would get that mirrored back to you from the world and you don't know how to deal with that because you're willing to, used to getting grump, grump, grump back at you. So now, okay, so I make a step and someone makes the next move and smiles at me. What do I do next? It's, it's walking into the unknown. And you, I mean, to me, this is the secret to success in business is being adapted to uncertainty. Absolutely. Embracing uncertainty. Um, Jonathan Fields, who I believe was episode six, you know, wrote a great book on um, called Uncertainty. And it's about this very thing. So if you're interested in this, please read more there. Okay. And but so the idea is do things that have no significant consequence like turning the toilet paper around in the bathroom. Although someone, if you live with someone else, they might not like it either. But getting used to that feeling of, gee, I'm not sure I know how to deal with this. Because that's the feeling that pushes people back into their old behaviors. Yeah. Well, let's pull this back to money behaviors, right? Um, Because... Money is just such an emotional experience for most people. We, we, we have a lot of people, not, not you, dear listener, because you're awesome, but a lot of other people have a lot of embarrassment and shame and guilt. And, you know, there's all these really rich and deep emotions attached to money, right? And, and, and their relationship with money. And as they start making these changes, it's not just like you're like, oh, I'm going to believe this different about money. You've got to believe something different about yourself. Where does all this stuff around money really come from? And, and, you know, what are some steps that people can take um, to really recognize where they are with that relationship and, and make different choices? Okay, let me give you some easy stuff. First of all, whatever you're feeling about money has nothing to do with money. It's where you're dumping your unexpressed feelings. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Okay. So 
you're looking at your bank balance and you're contracted and you're saying to yourself, gee, I should be earning more at this point in my life or gee, so-and-so makes so much more than I do or and whatever you're saying about that, that bank balance, if it isn't, oh, well, look what I've got in my bank balance. <laughs> Usually when people look at their bank balance, they're not congratulating themselves. So, th- and, and so what are you feeling? And a lot of people don't have a good feeling vocabulary. That could be part of this whole technology thing where we don't have to talk on a feeling level. We're just clicking the like button. So it's getting used to what your emotions are and learning not to be afraid of them. So when you're looking at your bank balance, just all you have to do is notice whether you feel contracted or expanded. So if you're willing to say, okay, I feel somewhat contracted. This might also happen when suddenly you need a new set of tires or, or, or you get a bill in the mail. If you still get them in the mail, I don't. <laughs> Wherever those bills come in, or, they just, or you, you think you're going to bounce something. and I mean, whatever you're dealing with money, notice whether you feel contracted. Notice where you feel contracted. And, and you're, after a while, you're going to notice that there are nuances to that feeling. It's not just contracted. Shame feels heavy in a different way than deprivation. And, and it, it's going, okay, this is what I'm feeling. And this feeling is not good or bad. I never use the expression negative emotions. There are just emotions. Some are more comfortable than others, but they're all valid. And we really haven't been taught how to fully experience our emotions. So you kind of say, okay, what am I feeling? And, and you just, you just kind of close your eyes and say, what am I feeling? And then when did I feel this before? And you're bound to come up with some story in your head from when you were a kid. Or, or it might have been five years ago or or, and, and you can keep going back because feelings don't start when you're 35 years old. They start when you're brand new. You, you actually inherit some of your feelings from your parents. So this, and so for me, money is not just a, a, a thing for exchange. It's a, a pathway to, to personal growth because you can learn so much about yourself when you're dealing with your finances. Does that make sense? Makes great sense. So thanks for sharing that with us. Well, this is, this is my message. <laughs> you know, it's not about the money. It's about you, your relation to yourself, and your relationship with the world around you. And your, your relationship with money and how you take care of it is all about how you feel and take care of yourself. I'm curious, what area of your relationship with money are you most working on right now? Well... Um, I'm, I'm looking at building up a bigger pile, shall we call it that? Um, I was sick until I was well into my 60s. So I never got a chance. Even when I had the big business, I screwed that up. So I had to start from zero. I've never really had a chance to, to build up a big, uh, a, a big investment portfolio, 
I came from a family where my father had gone bankrupt. My parents never had any savings. And it's so much easier for me to manage debt than to manage savings. So that's where I am now. But I'm doing it without fear, without regret, and, and without uh, concern for the future or feelings of guilt or shame or anything like that. It's just what I'm learning now. And even at my age, that, and the fact that I don't have a retirement fund, I can't imagine retiring, um, I, I don't worry about it because what I see about my life is what I need tends to come. And so I have faith in a positive outcome. And I don't just depend on that faith. While I'm doing it, I'm also learning a lot about investments and money and, and, and so I can make better decisions. And I also know not to make all those decisions by myself. You mentioned that it's easier for you to manage debt than to manage savings. Why is that? Because I came from a family of debtors. And my, my father used to say to me, this was the advice I got on my father's knee, you've got the ideas, go to the bank and get the money. (laughs) And I am a pretty good salesperson. And I was able to pretty much talk my way into what this was in the in the old days, it was easier to get money from the bank. And I would just go get money. And he forgot to tell me about paying it back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because he never did. So, uh, you know, I just and I spent a lot of time at Debtors Anonymous and and what I've learned with all the work that I do with people is that it's so much easier to have just enough than more than enough because as soon as you're into more than enough, every dollar is a decision and people just don't know what to do. So they spend it. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> um, what's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing? Unanticipated would be the speed at which things are changing on the internet and how quickly I have to move in order to adapt to the changes. Um, How are you doing with that? Because I know, um, as you mentioned, um, you mentioned a birth date, so, uh, you know, listener can do the math. How are you managing that? Like, I know some, um, some people are really intimidated, overwhelmed by the pace of change. Others love it. What's, What's your current take on it? Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily use that words, those words. I, I'm trying to find what works for me uh, in this milieu. Uh, when I first started my podcast, the first podcast I had was from 2005 to 2007. And then I stopped for a while and I started again almost two years ago. And um, what I see is, first of all, I'm you know, like 30, 40 years older than most of the people doing podcasts. (laughs) It's a very strange place to be in, right? And at first, I tried to be like the young people doing a podcast. And, and, and it was, I was lying. I mean, that's not who I am. So who, who can I be as an elder doing what I do? And make it work for me. So when I listen to all these podcasts and all these people, some of which, whom I've listened to on your show, where they're talking a mile a minute and they're doing 90,000 things, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm going, ooh, you know, um, I stop working every day at four o'clock to go to dog park for my mile or two mile walk. And, you know, I just live at a different pace. So it's, it's a matter of being okay with whatever I'm doing today and having 
my goal is a feeling goal. I want to be peaceful and live without fear. And, and so I keep looking at that rather than trying to see how I can be like people who are from a different era. I can say that one of the things I've most appreciated about this conversation is that I appreciate the elder perspective, and I would love to see more of that. Well, thank you. And I'm beginning to understand. And once I start talking about my age and not trying to hide it, because first of all, I don't have the energy of an elderly person. Every time they say elderly people should get a flu shot, <laughs> you know, I, that's me. I've never had a flu shot. I never get sick because I'm really healthy. And, and our, our concept of 74-year-old people is old. And, and I'm not that. And I, I walk every day. I exercise. I, I mean, I'm a very alive person. And I don't see that age defines who I am and what I'm doing, although it does affect my pace. Because when you get to be my age, you're not in a hurry to get to the end. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so if people remember nothing else about you and your body of work, what's the one thing you want them to take away from this episode? That whatever you're doing is fine. Uh, when you love, accept, acknowledge, and appreciate yourself, you will get paid and you're going to be living a, a rich life. Alrighty, Creative Giant. So you heard it from Joan. What can you do to find that place of love and acceptance and really being excited about where you are today because that's going to open up a lot of other options for you. So really sink into that. Joan, thanks so much for joining us on today's podcast. I loved it. Thanks for your wonderful questions. Okay, everyone else, until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, Creative Giant. <laughs>